0: and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Let's pray, hey? Father, we, we simply come this morning with open hearts and open minds for you to speak to us. Lord, we want to be engaged with you and we want your spirit to lead us this morning. So, Father, we give you permission to lead us, to guide us, to pierce our hearts and minds with revelation of heaven so that when we go, we can go in your name by your strength for your glory. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've been been talking about what it means to be a salty believer in the last five weeks and you know we started with um, a a bigger belief of God and then we moved into humanity and then we talked about a bigger belief of Christ and last week Ben talked about having a bigger belief of our salvation and this week we're talking about the church and we left the church to last because it's one of the most challenging areas to refine our beliefs and to have bigger beliefs. Why? Because we've all got so much first-hand experience with the church and it can tend to influence what we think about the church and, and our beliefs about what God's doing in the church. And, you know, I've been in, in a few different churches over the years, and um, not too many, mainly, you know, the, I, I think I've shifted churches for um, three times, and, and two of those times were locational. We moved from Perth in WA to Esperance, and we, and we went to that went to a church in Esperance and then, and then when Kristen and I left Esperance we came over here and came to this church and the only one other time I left the church was because I was chasing after Kristen and I went to her church and uh, you know, it, was, it was sheerly, stri- sheerly a um, strategic move there was no, um, you know and sometimes you need to do that don't you you need to go on a mission from God and uh, bring home yourself a, a bride and uh, so that was good. But it is, it's challenging our beliefs in churches. You know, I shared, I shared a few weeks ago that there's, there was, a, a, my, my understanding What there was something like 33,000 denominations. I've done a little bit more research since then. And the word on the street is that there's 41,000 denominations on the planet right now. Biblical, Christ-following denominations, 41,000. And, you know I, I, you know, I ask myself, why, Lord, why? But why have we allowed ourselves to, to disperse so broadly? You know, we, we're the bride of Christ. You know, we're the soul of the earth, the city on a hill, the light of the world. We're the body of Christ. You know, why, why, are, why have we let ourselves, um, you know, why have we let this happen to, to ourselves? And, you know, we do have an enemy, don't we? And he's trying to bring the church to its knees because, because of those things, because he's called us to be the light of the world. Because he's, because he's called us to be the soul of the earth and the body of Christ. You know? Because he said, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Well, his shoulders is his body and we are the body, so the governments on our land rest on the shoulders of the church. So the state of our government, the state of our nation, in reality is the state of the church because it rests upon our shoulders. So the enemy wants to bring the church to its knees so that society can fall apart and people can, can miss out on God's goodness. But the enemy's not the only challenge that we have in life. There's two others, isn't there? There's, you know, they call it the three battlegrounds. If you want to read a great book on the three battlegrounds, there's a guy by the name of Francis Payne who wrote a book called The Three Battlegrounds, um, and uh, a great book to, to just to get your head around um, what's, you know, what, what the playing field is that we're on sometimes. And and you can, you know, sometimes we just want to give the enemy, the good old enemy, credit for everything. And sometimes, you know, he doesn't mind you giving him credit, but, you know, I think sometimes we give him a little bit too much. And there's these two other areas, and and obviously one's the world and one's the flesh. And, uh, you know, there's a great line from that movie. It's not a great line, it's a terrible line. It's a terrible movie, actually. And it says, uh, I'll have what she's having. You know, this is the reality of the world, is that we get caught up in what everyone else is having, and we end up living out of a place of comparison instead of living out of the call of God on our lives. It's not about I'll have what she's having, it's Lord, what are you doing? Because that's where I want to head. And there's another, why don't, well, there's another, um, there's another interesting TV show on a, in Australia, and there's an interesting line that comes from it. Why don't you look to the person next to you and say this? Look at Moi, look at Moi. Terrible. Terrible. It's the extreme pit of the Australian accent, really, that TV show, isn't it? Other than Bogan Hunters and uh, etc. Now, this is the other area, isn't it? It's the area of self. it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are our battlegrounds. We're very aware of the enemy, you know. And the, when we compare ourselves to to the rest of the world, or we look at what they're having, sometimes we forget what God's called us to when we want what they're having. And then there's the time when, when we when we're saying, "Look at me," aren't we? We we get focused on ourselves, and God's called us to focus on Him. So so sometimes one of the biggest breakdown areas of the church is not just the enemy, it's it's us comparing ourselves with the other 41,000 denominations, and also going, what about me? Look at moi." You know, the the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. It says, maintain the unity of the spirit. It says, equip the saints for the work to do. There's a a great man by the name of William Temple who said this, the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Yet typically we don't start out like that, do we? When we meet God and when we, when we come to church, we typically don't start out with our energy being the focus of others. It begins with a whole different thing. It begins with the focus on us. It begins with us seeking God for his salvation. It begins with us seeking God for a healing, for a deliverance, for, for him to do something in our lives personally. But then over time, he does a work in our hearts and he, he, he gradually grows us up to a place where his agenda becomes our agenda. And his agenda is the salvation of the world. It is the will of God, what? That all men be saved. And that agenda begins to become our agenda. So having a bigger belief of church, it requires us to do a few different things, doesn't it? It requires us to lay down what we have seen and what we have done and engage in the God-given identity that he has given us, not the one that we have created out of our experiences. See, your experiences have the ability to form an identity in you, even though God has already declared an identity over you. And he wants you to to live out of the identity he has spoken over you, not the one that you have discovered through trial and error. So let's look at Hebrews 3, verse 6. Simply this. Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are his house. But we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You see, we, you know, when, we give our, when we confess that he is Lord and we believe that, that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. Yeah, but then what about, when are we the church? We are the church when our hope remains in him. We lose focus when our hope remains when our hope is is in the church, not in the hope of the church. See, he's called us to be the church and have our hope in him. He hasn't called us to put our hope in the church, he's called us to be the church and have our hope in him. What makes us the church is when our hope is actually in him. And it takes confidence and courage, the Bible says. It says to be we are called to be confident in the hope. Our call is in the hope of the church, not the activities of the church. We tend to get caught up in the activities of the church, but he's called us to have our hope in the source, in the, in the authority of the church. Where's the authority? Jesus says, I have authority. Now go, be the church in my name for my glory. So we're really, we're only the church if our hope is in him. It's actually a double identity I think, that we need to rediscover in the church. Sometimes we just want the one... What's the one thing? But I think you know, there's probably two key areas I think that we need to rediscover in the church. See, one hand, the church is called to be holy. We're called to be a holy people. He's called us out of the world to belong to Him. No longer do we belong to the world, we belong to Him and He's called us to be holy. He's called us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And on the other hand... He's called us to re-engage in that world that he separated us from. He saved us from the world and called us to be holy in his name. And then he sent us back out into that place that he called us from to go and engage and to be his hands and feet to the rest of humanity. To witness and to serve. The battle is, is rarely, rarely in the history of the church have we managed to do both well. A lot of times we've separated ourselves well, and we've become um, holy and disciples. You know, we've created monasteries over the centuries where where there's some of the most holy people of of all time that have never engaged with anyone outside of their outside of, of their separation. And then at other times, you know, we can focus so deeply on connecting with humanity that we can be contaminated by the beliefs of humanity, and we will forget who God has called us to be. See, he wants us to be spiritually mature. He's called us to be holy. And he also wants us to engage in humanity. He's also called us to serve humanity with his gospel. But if we do either of them without the other, we're missing out on the big picture of what God is doing in our lives. Now, Jesus taught these, you know, he taught these things in the, in the prayer of John 17 when he prays for his disciples. And, he, and he, at, at the beginning he talks, he says... You know, you are, I'm not in the world anymore. I'm sending you into the world. But I'm also saying that you are not of the world. I was sharing with the, with the men at the breakfast. We read this on Thursday morning. And, and I was saying, when I was over in Africa uh, a few months ago, when I was standing in the middle of Tanzania, in the middle of, I think, uh, Moshi, Tanzania, it was extremely obvious to me that I was not of Africa. <laughs> extremely obvious. And it was extremely obvious to everyone else that I wasn't African as well. It was, it was absolutely, plain as day, I didn't have to d- tell myself that I was different. I didn't, you know, these guys, these Tanzanian guys who took us up the mountain, that they have a swagger that you will never experience because you're too pasty, you're too white, You're too Irish, whatever you are, that's me, you know, Irish, Italian, pasty, very uncool. I think I'm cool in Australia, step into an environment like that, totally uncool. You know, it was like Revenge of the Nerds, you know what I mean? It's what it it felt like and, you know, my swagger, it just looked like, you know, something straight out of that movie. I don't know why I'm talking about this but... The Lord wants you to know that he's called us to be in this world, but he wants it to be very obvious to you that you're not of this world. To be in the world and not of the world, which Jesus prayed about in John 17, it, it needs to be very clear that we're different. You know, clear almost like light and darkness, almost like salt and meat. You know, almost like a city on a hill to a city in the valleys. You know, he, he, he says, I've called you to be separate, but I've also called you to be engaged. And here's the challenge that we face the challenge that we face is that we're, we, we were never called to belong to earth, but we were called to salt it. It's very difficult for salt to belong to meat, isn't it? Salt can flavor me, it can preserve me, but it can never become me. And it can, it's never in doubt that it is, that it is not me. And this is, this is why I encourage people to travel. This is why it's great to go into other cultures because it, you get the revelation that you are different. You know, in the, you get the revelation in the natural, that you're different, and God, and in, sometimes in those places, you get the revelation from heaven. Hang on a second, I'm not only different from those people, even when I go home, I'm different from the people in my community. But I'm also called to engage those people. First Peter chapter two, verse nine and 10, says this: "You are a chosen generation." a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's all good up until then. And then it says this, a peculiar people. Why don't you say to the person next to them, you're looking very peculiar today. (laughs) It's only like three words. Why are we those things that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light? Who were once not a people. See, we were once not a people. We were once like everyone else, but now we're not. We are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. See, the difference between you and everyone else, it's not that you have a swagger. It's not that you're cooler than everyone else. It's not that you've got more things. You've just obtained some mercy that they haven't obtained. This is the simplicity of it. You don't need to go out there and be. You're not better than everyone else. You've just been handed the mercy ticket. That's why when we engage, we need to engage humbly. We're not better than anyone else. We're just being blessed because we've accepted some mercy that we didn't deserve in the first place. We are a peculiar people. See, when you've received the mercy of God, for some reason you're, you stand taller. You know what sin does? You know, you, I love that box that, that Rochelle had this morning you know, and, and the big heavy box. What, what, is, you know, what happens when we, we don't have the mercy of God is we walk hunched over, don't we? Because we're carrying around all the consequences of all the, the great decisions or bad decisions we've made, our parents made, our grandparents have made. We're carrying those around. But when we receive mercy, that's gone. We stand tall. So we look different. So when you walk around, you know, you're still, as you're, you're no better than anyone else. But why are you standing taller? Why are you more confident than everyone else? Why, is, why have you got more hope about the future than everyone else? You have these things because you've received mercy. We were once, we were once not the people of God, but we became the people of God. How did we become them? Because we simply said, yes, thank you, Lord. So, our goal is not to make the world comfortable with God. Our goal is not to shape our church activities so that the world feels comfortable in them. Our goal is to be our peculiar selves and just walk around with this, with standing tall and confident and having hope where people have no hope because that is what peculiar people do and people are attracted to your peculiarity, not your consistency with them. See, sometimes we go, oh, my God. look, our part of our vision is this year is inviting someone to church. And people ask me, well, when, when's a good Sunday to invite someone to church? And I go, oh, well, look, maybe we can you know, invite an evangelistic... You know. People, they don't... People, we think, oh, maybe people will be offended by this or offended. They're not offended by what you think they're offended by. They're not offended by the things that we think they're offended by. We can have the worst Sunday ever. We can the preaching can bomb, the worship, you know, James could be singing out a tune. And we're all going, we're all having these cringe moments. Here's the thing we can have a very bad day at the same time as God is having a very good day with the person that you invite. This is church. This is what we do. Our church, it's not about the activities. Our hope is not, will we have some good activities in church today? Our hope is in, is God going to be at church today? Because if he's there, the activities will serve him and he will be glorified and people's lives will be changed. This is it. This is it. It goes on. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 17. It goes on. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents... And foreigners, some versions say aliens and strangers. You know, he's, you know, when someone, an alien comes to town in his spaceship, it's very clear that he is not one of us. When strangers come, it's very clear that they're not one of us because they have a different language, they have a different accent, they have a different appearance. Whatever it is, they're very different. And he is saying, remember, he actually warns us Listen, people, you are temporary citizens. You are temporary residents and foreigners. So keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. In other words, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Be holy as I am holy. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors then even if they accuse you of doing wrong they will see your honorable behavior and they will give god honor they will give honor to god when he judges the world wow be holy but then he goes on and talks about being present he says in verse 13 he says for the lord's sake submit to all human authority it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence these, those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Verse 16, for you are free, yet you are bondservants of God, so do not use your, ex- your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And then here it is, simply this, verse 17. Honor all people. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the authority. Honour the king, the Bible says. We don't have a king, we've got a prime minister. Honour the prime minister. So simple. We're called to be of God, but we're called to plant ourselves in the world. We're called to be salt, we're called to be light, we're called to be the body of Christ. You know, the place God calls us... Frederick Buechner says this, he says, the place God calls us to is the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. You know, our gladness comes when we discover salvation, and we hunger and thirst after the things of God. And then we begin to see the deep hunger of the world. Then we begin to see that we get when those things that where those things interact. That's where we're doing business with God. When we are spiritually mature, when we when we discover God in a deeper way, and we hunger for the things that He He wants us to hunger for. And then, and where that interacts with serving humanity, when we engage in society then we're doing business. They're not mutually exclusive. You cannot, you cannot be holy and then not engage with humanity. God, you cannot engage with humanity and not have a hunger and thirst after righteousness because either way, our vision is both of those things together. Serve like salt soaks into meat. Being spiritually mature is like light in the darkness. So, we need to look at the world from the perspective of God's redemptive story. We need to see the potential of the world and of the church that's bigger than what we've experienced. When we look back, when I look back at simply my church experience, I've seen church splits, I've seen you know, people have affairs, I've seen different things happen that are just, you know, that are, you know, upsetting. But the reality of our call to be the church, that doesn't change. No matter what we've experienced, no matter what we've walked through, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've seen, no matter the, the atrocities that we've done as a church, it, that is irrelevant to the call of God. The call of God is about realigning with His purpose, realigning with His plan. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. Thank goodness we've received the mercy of God and thank goodness the whole church has received the mercy of God because we can stand tall and we can have our stature high not because of anything that we've done but because of who He has called us to be. God is creator and He has the ultimate credibility and he has the ultimate authority to define reality god defines reality when you create something you have the authority to define what it is now when god said let there be light well he defined it at the same time as he created it when he said let there be mankind he defined man at the same time as he created and he gave us some naming rights too didn't he He said, look, I can't trust you with people, but I can trust you with the animals. So how about you name the animals? He's given us some naming rights, hasn't he? And this is what I I just want to suggest a theory to you this morning. That God has called us as the church to be the place that redefines reality. We We are called to name things of society according to his goodness. I think over the years we've named a lot of sins, but I think he's actually calling us now to stand for holiness and righteousness and actually go, this is what the Lord says. The Lord, is, he's, he, he doesn't want us to be people who name sins. He wants us to be people who name God's image. He wants us to be people who call out God's image in people. We may not be able to rename, you know, we can't rename people, but we can call out their original name. See, when God created you, He created you for a specific purpose and for a specific time. You know, the the lady that I'm, that Kristen and I are praying for for, um, for um, in the Bali orphanage is one of the um, leaders, and her name's Esther. And it's so easy to pray for Esther because you've got such a great name. You know, uh, uh, you know, we love the story of Esther, where, you know, and we love the great, the greatest line that we, you know, you were born for what such a time as this you know and you know i just pray that that's my prayer for her constantly you were born for such a time as this to lead these children out of a place of potentially being orphans or on the street and into an opportunity to walk in the goodness of god see we get to be esters we're all Esther's created for such a time as this to do god to declare god's goodness over all humanity and we deal with the sin of society by standing for the goodness of God. Yeah, our goal is not to point to the sin. Our goal is to stand up and be righteousness and to hunger and thirst after it and to be holy as He is holy. This is where, this is where the, the holiness becomes powerful as we engage in humanity. So Genesis, we've been given naming rights, haven't we? And I think this is one of the keys for us to go forward as the church. We know the enemy is called the accuser of the brethren. And here's the thing about an accusation. An accusation is simply an unproven name. When someone accuses you of something, they are labeling you or they are naming you of something that hasn't necessarily been proven yet. And the beauty of the accusation that the enemy's got is he doesn't have to prove it. He just keeps throwing out the accusations. And he's thinking, you know, someone will hook into some of them. He just keeps throwing out accusations. You're nothing, you're worthless, you're this, you're that, you can't do this, you can't do that. He just keeps throwing them out there and then over time people just grab hold of one of them. And when you start to believe what someone has accused you of, all of a sudden you've robbed yourself of your future in God. See God he doesn't want us to he doesn't want he wants us to be have lives based on truth not based on accusation. He wants us to be have a, the church have an identity based on what he has called us to do, not what we've experienced or what people have accused us of doing. Here's the problem though, we cannot redefine something with accuracy if it has a hold over us. If I need something from the world i cannot redefine the world because i want something from it i cannot preach the gospel that god wants me to teach you if i require some feedback from you because i'll end up saying things to to get feedback not to actually speak the word of god into your life this is the challenge of the of the of the church our challenge is to is to declare truth not to make people feel comfortable It's uncomfortable though, isn't it? And it is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable being a peculiar people. I want to be, I don't like the idea of being peculiar. I just want to fit in. I just want everyone to love me. Don't you just want everyone to love you? It just feels good when people love you. You know, lots of pats on the back. You know, the reality is that God has called us to be peculiar. And he's saying, listen, people, you carry the aroma of Christ. And for some people, it's the aroma of death. And the other people, it's the aroma of life. You don't get to choose what they smell. You just get to be peculiar and be yourself and then just see what happens. So I challenge you, embrace your peculiarity. Say that to your person next to you. It's a difficult word to say, peculiarity. So the effectiveness of the church depends on two things, doesn't it? It depends of the, on the holiness of the church and the engagement of the church. This is why he says go and make disciples because over time, disciples become holy. They become more righteous. And as we become more holy and righteous, as we engage humanity, then we have a credibility to redefine people. We have a credibility to speak into the lives of people. If the church is no different, from the world, then how will people know that we're of God? What we see a lot of today is the church redefining what the Bible says. You notice that? It was said recently that um, by some, a significant church figure that the Big Bang Theory does not contradict, contradict Genesis chapter 1. It was also said that the church is going to use gradualism to remove the word sin from their vocabulary. Now, what we're doing, we're redefining the church around different denominations and different places around the world is redefining what a marriage is. It's redefining when a life becomes a life. It's re- redefining when, uh, when to allow someone to pass away naturally or unnaturally. We, we are redefining what the Bible says instead of allowing the Bible to redefine who we are. This is the call of God of our lives. Our goal, our goal, this is why hungering and thirsting after righteousness is so important because God has called us to align ourselves with Him. And when we align ourselves with Him and with His Word, then we can engage society with a confidence and people will give God the glory. But when we just look like everyone else and we say, come and join us, people don't want to join that. You know the greatest time um, on earth where people joined the church was when the plague was going through Rome. When the plague was in Rome, all the Christian stayed. Half of them died, some of them didn't. But people said, what is wrong with these people? They're staying when everyone else is running for their lives. See, God has called us to be a peculiar people that stick around when things get rough. He's called us to be a people that stand tall when things get tough. He says, put on the the whole armor of God. What do you do once you put on the armor of God? Having done all, stand. This is what peculiar, why, why is that person just standing there? Because God's called us to stand where no one else will stand. He's called us to stand what for? He's called us to stand for truth. Jesus said, I came to what? To testify to the truth. He's called us to what? Go in his authority and to do the exact same thing. I wrote this statement last night. It says, When the peace of today is more important than eternal life, we will compromise on truths established by an eternal God. See, we tend to redefine the word of God when we're looking at peace today. We, we tend to redefine our lives when we're looking for an eternal peace. This is who God has called us to be. He's called us to be people who lift up their eyes, who are not looking down. He says, I've given you a, a, a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. He's saying, today you need a hunger and thirst after righteousness, but you have to have the big picture on eternal life. We look down so that we can do, we cannot hurt people as we take steps forward, but we look out for the perspective of where we're headed. A church that only looks down misses out on what God's doing in the future, and this is what He's doing: He is saving lives forever. I love the, um, I love the crypticness of the gospel. You know, you know, in Ephesians four, we love the fivefold ministry, talking about apostles and pastors and, and evangelists and teachers and. And what's the other one? Prophets? Did I say prophets? You know, it gives us these five things and we love the fivefold. We love talking about it. We love saying it. Do you know what I love about the fivefold? Is all of them seem just to annoy all of the rest of them. You notice that? You know, there's always this thing between um, evangelists and pastors and prophets and teachers and apostles and everybody, you know, and there's this whole, there's this thing that the gifts are, are diverse and they, and they tend to just rub up against each other because they seem to be all in different directions. And this is the beauty, this is the crypticness, I think, that is so great in God's gospel. is that The gifts aren't there just to equip you. They're there so that if you learn how to survive together. And the annoyance of each other is part of God equipping us to serve humanity. 1 John 4.20 says this, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God who they have not seen. See, the way we do church is what gives us cred in the world. It's like the swagger, the cred bit was good gives us credibility in the world. And we need, the the way that we have credit, you know, the Bible is constantly talking about it, saying, you know, by this the world will know that you're my disciples, by your what? Love for one another. The problem is, is that we struggle to love one another because we get consumed with our gift. And he's given us different gifts, I think, so that we can learn to interact and work together and serve one another. And so that I think half of the reason of the fivefold is so that we can be blessed with the gifts. The other half of it is so we can learn to live with each other in Jesus' name no matter what our skill set is. You look at the book of Acts. Acts you know there were there were the 12 apostles who were sent out to do everything and they were getting busy doing the practical so they got seven other guys and they did they did the um the feeding program and you know they were looking after the practical things then we got Mary and Martha you know one of them was worshiping and the other one was serving the guests and we're always looking at what's better what's we love is saying oh apostles are first then prophets and teachers you know we like we like ordering things and God's saying look Stop trying to compare everything and just do everything. He's saying, well, you're not just a people who is called to be holy. You're not just a people who is called to engage society. you have called to be a holy people who engage society. You've been called to be a people who are spiritually mature and who are serving humanity. A people who are not of this world, but also who are in this world. God has given us Gifts to equip us to go and do the work. And one of the greatest ways that we're equipped is by having totally different beliefs about what God wants us to do right now, yet loving each other deeply. Some of my greatest friends in life are people who I can argue with, till I'm black, argue with until I'm black and blue and then sit down and have a cup of tea with or coffee for the real... The, the, yeah the other people this is what this is what you know my one of my great loves is in in acts when it talks about the hall of Tyrannus, where paul is he's taught in, in in the hall of Tyranus. and the word that's used there is the word dialogue dialogue us back and forth and you can imagine the apostle paul you know he was a pretty you know i reckon he was a guy who loved a good um tussle with people and he's there for two years arguing with people and i reckon i, I just I, you know i can't wait to hear hear the stories about that hall of tyrannus because i reckon that they they had a great time they dug into the word of god and they talked about history and they talked about the future they talked about the cross and redemption and the holy spirit and they talked it and they argued back and forth of what we, should we circumcise everyone shouldn't we circumcise everyone you know should we do this should we eat that and they're, they're thrashing it out but there's a love that is not based on agreeing on all those things there's a love based on the mercy of Jesus and this is the challenge for us as a church you know so that we can keep it to 41,000 denominations let's just not let it any further all right maybe we can even bring it back one or two we need to be people who flavor society with our unity we need to be people who understand that the state of the church is the state of our nation. When we look at, our, at the the parties, you know, the significant parties in our in our government arguing with each other, you know, we are responsible. The church shall be upon his shoulders. You know, we're the body of Christ. The church, the the government shall be upon the shoulders of Christ, which is the church. So our responsibility is to model to the leaders of our land how to love each other and disagree with each other at the same time. I was at an ACL, Australian Christian Lobby event, a little while ago, and the previous Prime Minister John Howard was speaking, and he said these things. Why doesn't the, the worship team jump up? He said this. He said, 30 years ago, there was no need for the Australian Christian Lobby because the church was engaged in society. He said, now we need a Christian lobby banging on the door of Parliament because the church is no longer engaged in society. He's saying it's time for the church to step in and re-engage. He says, you can do this, you can be banging on the door with the principles of God, or you can have a seat at the table making the decisions in Jesus' name. This is who he's called us to be. But the problem that is, is that we cannot redefine the gospel to get into places of power. We need to redefine ourselves with the gospel and allow ourselves to salt society. This is who he's called us to be. This is what we do. You know, our goal is we preserve eternal life by advocating Eternal truths. Why don't you stand with me? You are the salt of the earth. And we say salt's two things, sodium and chloride. We've said this every week for the last, you know, and it's about what do we confess with our mouth? What are we believing in our hearts? What are you confessing with your mouth about the church? What do you believe about the church? What are you, what are you, what are you saying about the history of the church and the future of the church? You know, this is, what I, this is what I'm confessing. I'm confessing that no yesterday in the church can rob us of the call for tomorrow of the church. This is what I continually confess. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we've been. The call of God, the word of God will not return to him void. Therefore, let's go in his name because he is still sitting on the mercy seat. He is still on the throne. He's still full of grace and his mercies are new every morning. So that we continually confess that no, yesterday can rob us of a tomorrow. And what do we believe, church? We believe... That the church is God's plan for delivering his redemption to a world. Father, we just lift up your name today. We glorify it from the depths of who we are. Father, we, we come to you with an attitude of repentance. For where we have made mistakes, or where we have messed up, where we have, where we have dropped the ball, Lord. And we just thank you right now that your mercies are new this morning. And we tread on those mercies, Father. We stand on the platform of your mercy and we go out, Lord, confessing that you have called us to do a great work in our great nation, Lord. And we receive that responsibility. We believe it in our heart and we go in Jesus' name.